Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Good morning, good morning. Terrence, Jacob, hello to you both. Every time I hear that song, there's something that just jumps out at me. And today it was Bruce Buffer, of course, the voice of Let's Get Ready to Rumble. So I just pulled up his Wikipedia page quickly. 66 years old. I believe he's still doing some of those. Uh, I, I believe he's still announcing MMA fights, but you guys can correct me if that is, is incorrect. Um, so yeah, 66 years young, he could probably do that for another 15 years and then he could run for president or Senate. Interesting. I, <laughs> go ahead, Terrence. I was just going to say interesting little tidbit is he owns the copyright to let's get ready to rumble. Um, I once did a boxing, uh, TV show for NBC and we couldn't use that phrase because it was like. I forget, like $400,000 to use it that we wanted to for the, for the graphic opening. Just a, trivia. Well, I hope he's not listening to this show. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of Bitcoin to, to pay for, uh, for using that. Um, I was going to say... Go ahead, Jacob. A couple things. Uh, one, that should uh, highlight to everybody how important it is to specialize. Find your niche, find your market, specialize in that, earn the income, buy the Bitcoin just like Bruce Buffer. And um, I just got another thing. Get, titling these episodes are getting so easy. Every day, it's the same title, just changing the digit from 52. Soon we're going to make it 53, then it'll be 100. I mean, it's just, it's so easy in the bull market. It's fantastic. <laughs> Makes the job easier, for sure. Um, yeah, but I, for, for, on Bruce Buffer real quick, it's just crazy how he's been doing that for a while. I, I'm in my late 30s now, and I can remember watching some Mike Tyson fights in high school at a friend's house. And, you know, our friend's dad would be like, oh, Bruce Buffer, like he's a legend. And that was like over 20 years ago. So it's good to see him still going. The reason I like to play it so much is because uh, I think it's really funny when we start the spaces and they're like, now with the millions around the world listening and watching, I always thought that was uh, – just kind of a joke, and I just thought that was really funny. So that's why I like to play it. Jacob, you told me we have millions of live listeners every show. Is we do, man. Correct? Hey, I go to the podcast uh, information. You'll be shocked about how many global listeners we have. We have like 40 in random countries here and there. So shout out to all our friends over in Germany who love John. Hell yeah. It's a, it's a global community, that is for sure. And Tatum, good morning to you. How you doing? Morning, doing well. I'm a simple man. I see Cafe Bitcoin and Mining Update in the same sentence, and I join. It's an easy formula. It's a winning formula, that is for sure. 
I wanted to. We actually start... don't have any mining news. We just wanted to get you on the show, Taylor. <laughs> All right, I'll see y'all later. Y'all have a good one. Uh, it's been real fun. <laughs> we got him. We got him again, Jacob. It's so easy. Um, I just wanted to start by you know saying that uh, it must have been real tough for the plebs who aped into the Bitcoin ETF on the day it launched at the highs. They had to wait an entire 28 days in order to be back in the black again. And that, that just must be really, really tough for them. Man, I, I, I can't believe that they went through that, that hardship and that turmoil for those 28 days to get back in the green. That's crazy. That's their bear market. I, I've, I've seen some of them saying on Twitter, they're like, I'm an OG now. I held through the, the January 11th to February 9th bear market. That, that's just that's OG status. streaming down my face as I'm reading these. <laughs> um, no, so obviously I'm mostly kidding as I say that. But I, I do find it interesting that we were kind of thrown this curveball that you get the ETF approvals and launch that has just been going on for, uh, you know, it's been a story for many, many months or years if, if you go back to the uh, first application for it and the, the curveball was this you know pretty significant drop in price and as i like to say it the <clears throat> best possible move was buy the rumor sell the news and then buy the selling of the news um if, if you did that you made out pretty nicely but um yeah under a month for ibid and fbtc and all the others to be back in the black back in the green um pretty quick turnaround and that does bring me to one of the first news events I wanted to talk about, which is that um, there could be some selling pressure on the horizon. Obviously, it's tough to know where things shake out on a, a net basis. But <clears throat> Genesis did get court approval to sell uh, over a billion Bitcoin in uh, um, their bankruptcy proceedings. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. Like I said, in terms of a net basis, there could be enough demand that totally overcomes it but that seems to be the biggest uh identifiable seller in the near term here john why do i think they are selling into fiat but then buying spot bitcoin am i making that up is, is that a thing what exactly are you getting out there i i feel like i had read something um that said that they were just trying to get out of GBTC, but they wanted to get back into spot Bitcoin, to actual Bitcoin. In which so case I, it would be a sale and a purchase, you know. I just yeah. I don't I don't know where I read that or if, if you haven't heard anything, then just forget it because it may have been an unreliable source. I, I, I think what you may have heard, Terrence. Yeah, I think what you may have heard is that they're act so they don't own Bitcoin, they own GBTC, which if they sell the GBTC, then the GBTC ETF would sell the Bitcoin to liquidate. But I think that there, um, some of what I've read, and again, this is there may be someone here in the audience who's actually got the details, but that they're at, that they're going to be able to pay off um, their obligations by um, transferring their uh, GBTC. Some some of this by transferring the GBT the ownership of their GBTC units, um, and so that there wouldn't necessarily be a sale. It's like if the if the parties that they owe money to that they have obligations to are happy to accept GBTC ETF shares, then the selling doesn't have to happen. So, and, and there's expected to be some of that, but um, they, they do have court approval now to transact 
with these GPTC shares. And if they were to sell them all for cash, that would generate the billion dollars or so in um, in sell pressure that you're seeing. But um, but it's not the same as what happened with FTX necessarily, which, which was they were forced to sell into cash. And, and look at it now, right? This was uh, a few weeks ago that FTX was forced to do that. So they sold they sold a bunch of Bitcoin basically for thirty nine thousand dollars, and here it is today at fifty two five. Not a you know not the best outcome for people who are already underwater. If they had just been able to be a little bit more patient, um, it would be different. But th- these are all you know. So many of these uh, entities that hold these big f- things that got caught in that big um, GBTC premium trade that turned into a GBTC discount trade is arbitrage that went very wrong, attempted arbitrage that went very wrong. Um, they were all non-arm's length to one another. They were, you know, the people who were issuing the money were actually benefiting from how they spent the money because of, of the DCG arrangements, digital currency group. Like they, they were lending money to people who were then buying GBTC, which they owned and made a profit off of. And now a lot of those entities have changed hands because they're in, bankruptcy court and so the bankruptcy trustees are the ones making the decisions and then and some of these things were also um, because they were non-arms length they were restricted in what they could sell and now that they're in bankruptcy they're not restricted into what they can't sell um I, i'm just wondering if sam's article sam, sam just wrote a really big article about this uh on the on the blog for swan's private insight we usually yeah, it's the first article. If you go to swan.com slash blog, the first the first article is GBTC was the genesis of the crypto credit contagion part two by Sam Callahan. And it goes into lots and lots of detail on this and has pretty much the latest uh, and greatest information on, on all of this. Yeah, Sam also Trump. has a thread about it. So Sam, Sam's our local authority on it and, and his thread on it would be the most up to date. Uh, piece so check check that out rather than listen to what i'm saying and probably what anybody else here is saying he's he's really done the homework on this yeah sam sam's been writing about this for quite a while um the title of the article is part two but so he's you know obviously done at least two but i think he's done other um articles as well He's, he's done a lot more than two uh, VJ Boyapati has also done some very good, very detailed threads on this whole situation. So if anyone wants to learn more and dig deeper, you can definitely go there. Um, Terrence, did you have anything? Or actually, Terrence with one what? R, I was going to go to you, but also good morning, Terrence with two R's. Hey, um, yeah, thanks, Tomer. That I think that's kind of what I was referring to. And I also was just thinking, you know, now that we're, we seem to be clearly in a, a bull market, for a while here, you know, I feel like some people are going to want to just hang on to Bitcoin, and that probably includes the Mount Gox um, liquidation whenever that eventually happens. Like yeah. why sell and why why sell yeah, into fiat when you see what where Bitcoin's right. going? You know, right. just taking the obvious. If, yeah, if you if you're if you're in a position where you're. Uh, where you're owed something and you could get paid in Bitcoin or you could get paid in dollars, which would you prefer? And 
I'm not saying that everyone will necessarily always prefer Bitcoin in this situation, but for people who've been forced to hold for a long time, and you know, and they've been forced to hold through numerous bears and bulls like the Mount Gox people, or at least through one full cycle, like the like the creditors of of Genesis and Gemini and all, all those people. It may be that as as they see the bull market, you know, some people might be very short term and say, "Oh, thank God, I was forced to hold." until 52.5, but I, I just want to get out because I've been so scared. Um, and But many other people will be, oh, I'm so glad I was forced to hold because I probably would have panic sold at 16. And here and now I'm, I'm getting 52.5. Maybe I'll keep holding on. So there's probably a lot of communication to be had with the, for, for people, and we'll just see how it all goes. Right. And we all have to remember there's the the selling pressure, but then there's also buying pressure, as is the case with any market, any financial asset. So if there are enough people who choose to sell in that situation, they could be um, you know, over, overwhelmed by pe- enough people willing to buy on the other side, and then uh, price moves higher, as, which is how markets work. Um, want to shout out BTC Sessions, um, see you as a listener right now. I'm sure most people saw the very good news that you had 100,000 subs on YouTube yesterday, so congrats to you on hitting a big milestone. Uh, I think I speak for everyone and when I say it is well, well-deserved. Um, if you want to come up, please feel free. Um, you know the drill here. We'll just be chatting for uh, the next 45 minutes or so. Um, also, good morning to uh, Brandon. How you doing, man? John, what's going on, brother? Yeah, good to see everybody. And uh, happy, happy Ash Wednesday, John. And uh, hopefully you gave up something good. So I'm tackling my addiction to time or my lack thereof uh, time, I guess, going to bed too late. So um, putting all my energy into that. So hopefully you and the little one are well and the wife. Good to see you, brother. Um, yeah, no, I just I think that th- this is a really fascinating talk. And I think that just, you know, custody in general, how the ETFs, I mean, FTX is, is kind of that case study in a way for all these entities, right? Like you see what happens when you're, when you're swimming naked, um, you know, whether these institutions do it or not, you know, I, I think there's some, there's some crowd that thinks like, well, they're regulated. Of course they have to do these things. And, you know, I, I think what we've learned through all this, whether it's, you know, the wars going on, the government funding this and that, you know, people dropping themselves 12,000 feet under the ocean, you know, like none of us can confirm any of these things going on, right? Like we, none of us, not one of us can, is the election real? Is it not? Are, are we auditing every single vote? And I think that's what, us Bitcoiners realize, right? Like Bitcoiners, it's a, it's a ledger system. It's an accounting system for truth, for auditing things. And I think that's where society will continue to coalesce because now you're seeing like, tw- like 20 years ago as a, as a kid, like being in middle school and high school, arguing with teachers, literally arguing with teachers about politics. Why are we watching Michael Moore's movies and not the other side? Show us both sides, things of that nature. Only my wildest dreams could I have imagined 20 years later that people would be asking these questions and questioning really everything with boldness, as Thomas Jefferson said uh, a long time ago. And and here we are, people starting to question the the very makeup of everything. And I, I think of bringing it back to Bitcoin. When do people start really questioning the bonds? You know, life insurance. Uh, you know, just trust in themselves, right? So many wealthy families have trust themselves. Well, at what point? You know, if you have twelve words or twenty four words, I don't need a trust. If that's ninety nine percent of my portfolio. Bitcoin, I don't need a trust. When do these things start kind of dissolving? And in a lot of it, the answer is it could be overnight. And I think that's where the gradually then suddenly 
comes into play because it's just psychological. Money is psychological. The economy is psychological. Inflation is psychological. You know, all these things are very psychologically driven. So tomorrow, like if we're going to a bodybuilding competition, it'd take a year, two years, three years to get to get to a point where we need to be where overnight someone can just decide I'm not using that money anymore. I'm not using that currency. And I think that's the thing that fascinates me the most. And some of us, I know, like I, I tend to be a little bit too idealistic at times, maybe not pragmatic enough. I was thinking about these things 20 years ago, 10 years ago and thinking, oh yeah, people get it. They'll, they'll, they'll just wake up tomorrow. And yes, in theory, it is that easy. However, the masses move slowly. And I think that's the thing that I see it coming closer and closer over the last two decades. I, I thought it would come a lot sooner, but now you can start seeing that, you know, maybe in the next five, 10 years, this, this train's really coming home. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and people are starting to really wake up and realize what's happening quite honestly, because of social media, things like that, where we can see what's going on. Like many of us just saw with, uh, over New Zealand, central bankers literally saying the quiet part out loud that's happening over and over and over again, these people unmasking themselves, but we get to see it now in real time. And, and we did not get to do that for forever for all of human history. So I think that's the thing that gives me the most hope just at a macro broad level of things that I've been kind of thinking about lately. So Brandon, are you telling me that you'd be interested in holding a monetary asset based on how the record keeping and the accounting and the ledger is kept in a decentralized way and can't be changed on a whim by a centralized authority? Because if so, I was assured yesterday by Gary Gensler that no one would be interested in such an asset. <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate those uh, wide ranging comments. That was great. Um, BTC sessions would love to hear from you primarily on hitting a hundred thousand subs. Anything you would like to share there would be fantastic. And I believe you also tweeted, uh, a photo of the cold card queue, which is also one of the news items we wanted to get to. So if you have any thoughts to share about that, we'd love to hear that as well. Yo, good morning. Thanks. Thanks for having me up. I'm just making some eggs right now. Um, yeah, uh, I'm again, thanks everybody who is, uh, you know, retweeting and commenting and saying nice things. I really do appreciate it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like a long, a long time coming, I guess. I've been making videos, uh, as of May, it'll be eight years, eight years of doing the channel. So, um, you know, not going to lie. It was a slow grind. It's a lot it's a lot longer to get people following you when you're doing educational content instead of just like telling people every day that they're going to be rich, which, you know, they probably will be. But at the same time, that's not the point of the channel. So like it's I I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but but uh, this week on why are we bullish? I think I'm going to be bullish because um, there is in my mind, there's still hope that uh, you can still have success without pumping shit coins and bullshit investments and just focusing on teaching people like how to be secure and low time preference. And so, yeah, it was kind of a big deal, but it's been, I don't know, numbers what like this, this year has been wild already. Like the numbers just kind of keep going. So I don't know if it, I just kind of like, yeah, I think there's a little bit of like the algos are just kind of like favoring now or or something, but um, and maybe it's just getting shared in the right places. But it's uh, it's been a bit of an avalanche the last little bit. Um, yeah. So are, I won't... are you seeing are you seeing video views go up as well as much as your 
subscribe yeah. button is going up? Yeah, so so it's definitely, especially like this month, um, it's it's significantly higher. Like I think um, I don't know, like I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at viewership, especially on a few different videos. Like some of the some of the like basic wallet videos are getting some pretty good uh, coverage. There's a, also like a few clips clipped from like the Friday show and stuff that are, are doing the rounds. Um, yeah, a lot of like practical Bitcoin stuff. And that's kind of always been the case of the channel as well. Like, you know, the the news shows and the, the, the panel shows and everything are a lot of fun and they do well. But it's the 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 kind of evergreen tutorial stuff has always been i guess the bread and butter and the whole point of the channel so um which makes me feel good because again like that content is is geared towards like actionable things that people can do to make themselves more self-sovereign so yeah i don't know it's just kind of refreshing and, and nice and you know put a put a smile on my face the other day to 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 see that because it's been a, a kind of a long a long time coming so thanks for sharing it with me well buy buy bitcoin is trending right now and on um amazon's alexa what's also trending is um where do i put my bitcoin you know what is a bitcoin wallet where does bitcoin go how do i recover a wallet um so a lot of the basics like that and i'm sure a lot of those lead to you ben yeah, I, 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 you know what? It's it's coming across very similar to 2017. So I started doing videos in 2016 when there wasn't really as there, there wasn't a whole lot of people that were like super hyped on it yet. I mean, yeah, it had gone through the cycle before and everything, but like it was quiet in 2016. But because I spent that year doing step by step tutorials when the mania of 2017 hit. It was just like everybody and their grandmother was searching, how do I even use this stuff? And I had the benefit of a backlog of a year of educational content. So like it, it just helped a lot. So that might be part of it now. There's like such a catalog that it's just easy to find. And I've also started doing more. Um, it could be also like uh, my website. I've started kind of complementing the videos with um, blog posts to match up to them and linking them more places and sharing them more places. So like, it's, it's a combination of things, but yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm happy that people are curious and, and wanting to self-educate on that stuff as well. I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask you, Ben, you kind of alluded to it, but are you seeing bumps from videos even, even back then, 2016, 17, 18? Yeah. 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 It's funny. Um, there's a video that I made. Yeah. I think in 20, God, what was it? 2017, something like that. Um, and that, it's funny, the staying power of some of these videos, it was like a, how to use a Bitcoin ATM. And for years, that was always in the top 10 videos that I had ever made. Like consistently every month, people would be going to that. So like sometimes there's just a video that that has staying power, like the, uh, maybe this would be a good segue, but like the cold card my like lengthy cold card Mark four video that I did that one consistently gets uh, some pretty decent views. Just people are always curious and trying to learn. So um, yeah. So hopefully the same thing happens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, I just got the queue. So um, that, yeah, that, that ship, I was probably one of the first pre-orders. I think the second that pre-orders came up, I, I 
went and got it. So it arrived yesterday and uh, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. Like I, I don't think a lot of people realize like how many extra bells and whistles this thing has. And like, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm testing. I'll be playing around. Uh, I will try to get a video out as, as soon as I can. I think I'm going to, uh, take a different tactic than I did with the, the four. You, even though I really like that I made a Lord of the Rings length tutorial on cold card, I think this one I'm going to split into um, the different ways to use cold card, like different ways of connecting it, using it with various wallets, and kind of have it more like focused on each individual use case. So if somebody says, oh, I want to use it with NFC, Okay, well, here's a video how, from scratch how to do that. Oh, I want to use it with a cable or SD cards or with the QR scanner. You know, each video will just kind of show how to use it in that fashion. The MK4 saga was a very good production. <laughs> was Peter Jackson was my my co-producer, and uh, and he had a lot of really good feedback for me. I mean, he kept on saying longer, longer. You're, yeah, you're going to have to release the extended director's cut and the deleted scenes, and at, at some point, we want to see the whole thing. It's going to be like a terabyte of footage in like three <laughs> days' worth. Yeah, the deleted scenes are also like NC-17. There's a lot of swearing in those. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I uh, have a lot of comments. For, first, I'll just say we at Swan can definitely relate to what you said about it, it feels like validation that you don't have to go down the altcoin uh, casino route to be successful and, and have people appreciate your content. And we think going forward that is going to improve. It's not going to you know completely go away. Um, I think there's still going to be some voices out there that are unfortunately you know banging the drum for Web3 and blockchain and DeFi and uh, I think it was Franklin Templeton, even though they have a Bitcoin ETF, they sent out a tweet that was like, we're big on Web3 and blockchain and, and DeFi or something like that recently. So um, like I said, it's not going to be everyone on the same page, but we think this cycle will be a little different in that there will be a lot more Bitcoin only voices out there that get a lot more airtime. So hopefully that um, turns out to be the case. And then also important question wanted to ask you, Ben, is uh, are you getting flashbacks from when you had a BlackBerry circa 2007? Because this thing looks a lot like my BlackBerry tour, which was very hot in 07, 08, um, but quickly became uh, obsolete for the iPhones. I, you know, all it's missing is the rollerball, right? I just, I need that rollerball so I can navigate properly. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm what i'm doing here but <laughs> yes I am. I am getting that 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 vibe but it is it's pretty slick um i mean it's very when you when you show this to somebody it's very <laughs> i don't know how to describe it it's it's a throwback that's for sure um but also again like the appeal of having the actual keyboard like when you're using a passphrase on a wallet or when you're navigating things or you're you're confirming your seed phrase or recovering a seed phrase, just actually having a keypad is actually very, very useful. Um, yes, yeah, so there's there's a, a, a number of things that I'm pretty excited about it. And and then just to your earlier point about um, you know, not having to rely on 
on uh, again pumping scams and and pump and dumps and all that kind of stuff and how it'll be different this time around i think it's it is a gradual shift and i i think that with with bitcoiners you've got the benefit of one low time preference and two reality and truth right so like the 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 narrative in and around bitcoin is if anything consistent like here's how it works here's what it can do maybe we can do other things on top of it but you know that at the core these are kind of the key tenants that we we need to um you know highlight and when it comes to everything else it's just ever shifting right like it 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 constantly needs to have a a new use case well bitcoin can't do this so you know this is what we do and those narratives are ever shifting either because they break themselves or because all of a sudden Bitcoin can do the thing that the other thing specialized in without trade-offs. Um, yeah, so I, I think that, yeah, with time, it becomes more and more evident that all of this other riffraff is completely unnecessary and that, uh, you know, Bitcoin is where the focus should be. For sure. There's an analogy I love that... Uh my coworker at Swan P uh, gave when we were just chatting internally at some point and I was like half venting, but half just pointing out, I was like, why are some of these tokens? This was probably three or four months ago. We were talking. It's like some of these tokens are up so much. Like why is Solana up whatever, 200%? Why, why is Avalanche up 130%? And I was like, I thought, you know, 2022 was not that long ago. I thought people would kind of look at this and be like, okay, there's not really a big use case there. And that they wouldn't have rallied back so hard. And he gave the analogy. He's like, yeah, well, when are, you know, big food companies going to stop marketing sugary cereals to children? It's like, we all know that it's bad. Um, and probably even the parents that buy them <laughs> know at some level that it's bad, but it, it keeps happening, right? And it's, it's unfortunate. And we can all say it's unfortunate, but it, it will keep going on. Um, but with all that said, I still agree with your comment that I think it's a gradual shift. I think each cycle will be a little bit different. Um, and thanks to people like yourself who are putting out good content. Okay. Um, anything else you wanted to throw out there, Ben, before we uh, pivot to some other topics? We're also going to have someone from Marathon Digital Asset Management on. Um, so we're going to pivot to that soon. But anything else you wanted to throw out there, Ben? Um, maybe I'll just toss out uh, um the couple recent uh, tutorials that I've done that I think people should take the time to check out and learn some new stuff. If you're not on Noster, I did a video on Primal uh, last week, which is actually probably the simplest way to onboard an absolute newbie, not just to Noster, but to Bitcoin. Um, it's just very, very simple. You can download the app, set up a profile in like, a couple of minutes beyond Noster and then strike is actually plugged into the back end as an easy way to just simply load up about five bucks worth of sats into your internal wallet in that is native to the primal app. So that one's really good, especially if you've just got like, if you're curious and wanting to get on it for the first time, or if you have people that uh, maybe some normie friends that, you just want to kind of gently ease them into 
you know, them playing around and saying, oh, geez, I can just send money or I'm getting sats for for putting out some content on, on the internet. That's cool. Uh, it's, it's a really good way to expose people to that. Um, and then I just dropped uh, yesterday... Uh, funny that the the queue arrived, but yesterday I dropped a video on the Mark IV. So if you guys uh, still have your cold card Mark IV and you're looking to uh, prolong uh, its life and you're going to be using it a bunch more, I showed how to use it on mobile with virtual disk mode. Um, so it's just it's probably one of the easier ways to use it on on mobile, in my opinion, because the NFC can be finicky on on the Mark IV. It's not as strong because it doesn't have the power going through it. Um, and uh, and yeah, and the last one I'll, I'll recommend is check out the video on Aqua Wallet. I I quite like it. I think it's very interesting, um, kind of the the play between having the on chain Bitcoin wallet, but then also having Lightning and Liquid uh, kind of combined into a singular balance, so that you can uh, simultaneously send and receive. Um, to lightning invoices as well as liquid addresses without having to cognizantly think about what you're doing. You can just scan a QR code and go and it just interprets what you need to do. So anyways, that's those are my recommendations to check out. Very cool. Thank you for highlighting that. And yeah, I do believe that wallets like Aqua will become you know more of a focus as time goes on here, lightning, liquid, and uh, people will say, how do I use this freaking thing? And hopefully most of them will end up on your YouTube page. That, that is the hope. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate you coming on. Um, that was fantastic. Um, we are going to hit a few more news stories here before we pivot to, uh, Paul from marathon. Um, where to start here. So I will just throw one out there. I think it'll be a great piece of content for people to check out kind of a unique piece of content in the sense that it's, well, it's Lynn Alden and obviously everyone's familiar with her, but she spoke at Princeton about her book, Broken Money. And she gave a a talk, a presentation, and then did a discussion with uh, someone named Carolyn Wilkins which is a formal, uh, she's a former Canadian central banker. And then she did audience Q and a. So this, this talk happened February 6th, uh, live at, at Princeton, obviously, but, um, she just posted it, tweeted about it yesterday. It's on YouTube. I have not had a chance to check it out because I just saw it last night, but I wanted to shout that out because you know, one, it's Lynn, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of her content. And then two, I think it's pretty cool that she went to uh, an audience like Princeton. Uh, obviously, you know, if Lynn goes on a big Bitcoin podcast, we'll, we'll all listen to it. But uh, that's maybe a little within the echo chamber, so to speak. So I think it's cool that she went to Princeton. And I'm interested to see what the discussion with the former central banker is like, plus the audience Q&A. So just wanted to shout that out for everyone. I think it's very cool that uh, Lynn is kind of branching out and going to those broader audiences. It's and especially... Go ahead. I was literally going to go to you, Terrence, and say, do you have any comments on Princeton as an Ivy League university? I, I feel like you have something to say about this. <laughs> so uh, what a lot of these uh, crypto VCs and crypto coins have done is they've funded classes or projects or centers at these top universities, including Stanford, 
Um, I don't know about Princeton, but I wouldn't be surprised. So it's really, really good to have someone who's much more objective. Like Lynn is not an ideologue. She's a research analyst. And she just sees kind of from her point of view, quite objective, quite objectively and compellingly, I would say, that Bitcoin is the only coin that really matters and not Ethereum, not these other coins. So it's uh, refreshing to see that because the crypto VCs and um, scammers have kind of uh, dominated these universities and brainwashed a lot of students. Shout out to Ella Huff, who has been leading the charge getting a Bitcoin uh Course, or I, you guys are going to have to film. Is it a course or is it a club? And it's at Cornell. Degree. A degree. So, yeah. okay. But just is it major her. or minor? Major just for her. Um, so the other students don't, don't have it. They have to each apply. But she's, you know, this is like the beginning of a trend, right? So she got a lot of pushback where they're like, are you sure you want to do just Bitcoin? Can't you do, do like cryptocurrency and blockchain because it's too narrow? and so forth, and isn't Bitcoin a scam, and had to do a lot of heavy lifting at Cornell, which is a bastion of cryptocurrency and shitcoining, uh, thanks to some professors there that shall go unnamed. But yeah, she's uh, at Cornell, has her own major, I believe, in Bitcoin, and so that's really good. So she can focus on Bitcoin for a major. There's like some interdisciplinary thing, where um, some of these students at Cornell, they can have an interdisciplinary degree and come up with something, but no one in the whole country and maybe the whole uh, world has come up with like a Bitcoin college degree for their bachelor's. Bachelor's of Satoshi, I suggested. Yeah, I love it. Go, hey, Sam, good morning, man. Hey, yeah, no, it just seems like I agree with Terrence, like the... The crypto ecosystem really is heavy in these Ivy League schools. Um, it didn't used to be that way. Like Stanford, I felt like used to focus on Bitcoin, and then like the ICO craze in 2017 is when they really started to pivot heavily into blockchain. And um, but I think that sentiment's shifting. Um, I was actually invited to speak at Harvard Business School in April. Um, because they specifically wanted a Bitcoin voice in the in the blockchain. They even said like, "Hey, this is a blockchain crypto conference, but we want like a Bitcoin perspective." And um, and so it just seems like they're starting to understand at least the difference between them. And uh, I'm excited to go there and ruffle some feathers a little bit <laughs> because permission blockchains. I mean, it just gets me going. They, they should Sam, have one session. Hey, Dom, go ahead. I was going to say, Sam, did you at least call Terrence before that to get access to the Phoenix Club? Um, and I know we know he must still have. Yeah, Terrence, I'm going to have to pick your brain, man. I don't even, I've never been there. Got any good spots, good recommendations? Uh, it's been a while, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the Phoenix Club. It's ridiculous. Isn't there like a, a wing or a, a dorm or some sort of building, the, the Yang School of Management or something like that? No. Well, maybe next year. Not yet. Maybe next year. Not yet. There's a, there's uh, a bookshelf. We Bitcoinization and there'll be a lot of competition from other Bitcoiners to donate to Harvard or hopefully start Satoshi University or 
some Bitcoin college. That would be much better. It just kind of blows my mind that there is still this narrative of like permission blockchains and, you know, the Jamie Diamond to the world saying, I'm, I'm really, I love the underlying technology blockchains. I mean, maybe he has to say it because they have like JPM coin and stuff like that, but it's just, it's so stupid, the permission blockchain craze. And then to say like, I love, I love the underlying technology blockchain, but not Bitcoin when Bitcoin's like the most successful blockchain ever. I don't think they understand how silly they sound. And Sam, it kind of ties in with Gensler's comments the other day about the record keeping, right? Which is blocks of transactions, you know, on a decentralized ledger and saying, who cares? Like, when has anyone ever invested in something and cared about that? Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe he doesn't realize that double entry accounting was one of the biggest breakthroughs in his entire industry Damn, how in the last thousand thousands of years. <laughs> how are you going to have all those off-balance sheet uh, liabilities and assets, you know? I mean, that, that, you know, come on. Yeah, I don't know. Triple entry accounting, that seems pretty cool <laughs> to me, but whatever. Oh, well, that's somewhere it's, on the 17th balance sheet over there. I don't know. Find it, guys. It's such a big breakthrough that I just saw a Bitcoin magazine that Liz Warren wrote a certificate of commemoration uh, with a flag ceremony. That can't be real. I just saw that on Bitcoin Magazine. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that, but like, what? You were living in clown world. Imagine, imagine 10 years from now, we kind of talked about this earlier, uh, but 10, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, when, you know, Ben is the, you know, head of the Department of Education or, or if it even exists at that point. But, you know, Sam, Sam's the politician. He's the he's the president at that point. You have Bitcoiners just running the world. Guess what? There is going to be the, you know, Department of Satoshi or whatever. And it's just going to be so I don't think we can even imagine 10, 15, 20 years from now what things look like when this fourth turning ends up really happening because of course then people like us are in power and understand and just the in general the public is understanding what's going on and when you fast forward and it just looks so much different and we're just gonna be sitting here like wow what what in the fuck happened that's gonna be epic dude sam and john you know head of finance at the federal level then you got tatum's minister of the interior none of the above yeah, I don't or, know. I think the the interesting thing is like you, you say running the country, uh, and, you know, which still presumes a very traditional mindset that we need people to run and tell you know to run other people to dictate over other people, and it's like if you're run, people ask who's running the who's running this country as if there should be someone running the country, <laughs> some dictator, and, and, and the, it it's like who's running Bitcoin. Right. And yes. that's a very famous meme in Bitcoin. And it's amazing how different the word running means. R- running just means, you know, enforcing the rules that treat everyone equally in Bitcoin and running the country means deciding who gets unequal treatment and what and whether it's beneficial or harmful, une- unequal treatment. I think that's the direction that we're headed in. So as much as I'd love to see uh, lots and lots of success for the people who, who you mentioned, I, I don't want to see it as coming as authoritarian you know individuals with with dictatorial power over others yeah build your citadels if i'm in that role i would just go up there and read that you know network metrics hey hash rates here difficulty adjustment just changed uh you know blocks are happening roughly every 10 minutes still be very boring and then i would just be like yep and i you know recommend stacking some sats uh just like last week and the week before that and the month before that and then you know i think i'd be a pretty good Director of finance, then. 
Sam's easy gonna job. be the Bitcoin weatherman. He's just gonna we're gonna green screen the Clark Moody dashboard, and <laughs> yeah. he's gonna go through all the metrics. Exactly. Exactly. It does. I mean, Tomer, I think you like your generational wealth video is so amazing because that is that is the future. And I think what I'm referring to is this bridge we have to cross, this chasm from to get from right now to you know whether it's 15 or 10 or 20 or 50 years from now, where yeah. you're going to have the the Johns or whoever Sam's going to be the Fed head, and all of a sudden he's saying things like that, like that's a joke, but it's not. Like people just I'm start thinking that it's pointless, right? Like, why are we doing this? Like, we don't need this. It's auditable. Like, I don't need that. And it just slowly becomes less and less relevant. And the power is defunded. And it's just sucked away from that. And it just kind of goes into oblivion. And then we're living in that world that you laid out, you know, 50 years from now, or whatever. I think it's, you, it's well said. Yeah, I, I, I think starting to realize that politics needs to, to change. And I, I've, I've written about this in other essays, too. It's like, when, when the money became fiat, it wasn't just that the government controlled money. It was like government and money became one in the same thing. And it changed the nature of government too. And so now government is all about promising how they're going to use the money printer to, to essentially buy votes. And if you take that power to buy votes away from them, then they get back to doing what politicians potentially ought to do, which isn't to redistribute wealth and print money and see, and, and seize money, but it's, it's to maintain law and order um, so, so that there's some semblance of justice along with what people are generally willing to, uh, to accept. But we've gotten so confused, right? Like the expectation is now that um, you're voting for someone who's going to give you more money. And if they get you angry enough, like we, someone mentioned Elizabeth Warren, her her plat platform is really you should hate these other people that have money and I'll take it away from them. Hey, okay, we'll tax the rich. What you know, and it doesn't matter how they got their money. It's just they've got it and I want to take it. And it it really appeals to not a sense of justice, but uh, you know, a sense of envy, a, a sense of jealousy, um, and 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 a sense of entitlement uh, that you should be able to interfere with other people's lives. So if we take that away, we'll see a very, very different class of politicians. And someone mentioned just a few minutes ago as well, Thomas Jefferson, like it's not that all politicians have always only been uh, liars and thieves, um, but the, the current setup basically guarantees that that's what we end up with. Uh, and, and Bitcoin is the technology that disrupts and ends that particular incentive, that particular mechanism. So it, it's that, that's how, why it's so transformational and it'll take time. And yeah, for sure, we'll, we'll end up, I hope with during the transition, exactly what you described, just some people who come up and say, well, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do is, is report on things and uphold the constitution, not just take an oath and then betray that oath right after. And I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but it's just this. This is really, to me, the essence of why this is so important because it fixes something that was so broken and took 50 years. In the same way you're saying, Brandon, that it'll take 50 years. It took 50 years to get as bad as it is right now, and it might take 50 years to fix. Right on, right on. Love it, Tomer. Um, we are going to pivot because we have Paul from Marathon on uh, as the co-host here. I get to make the last comment on the topic. As you guys know, I am a former Goldman Sachs employee, which, which is almost as prestigious as being Terrence and being from Harvard. 
Um, so if I have a place in this government that we're describing, I think I would have to be Treasury Secretary if that role still exists. But instead of the Steve Mnuchin-esque photo of him holding the printed dollar bills, it would probably just be me next to a, a screen showing mempool.space. That's kind of what I'm envisioning in that world. So that's the future we want to bring about. So with that said, uh, Paul, good morning to you. It's great to have you on. Um, Thank you, John. It's nice to be on. Um, I would vote for you for Secretary of Treasury if that's a, an electable uh, seat at some time in the future. I, I have my – this is my first step in the campaign process, and I already have a voter. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Uh, yeah, it's great to have you on, and um, we want to get into the, the meat of the matter here, but um, I'll, I'll give you a quick intro, and, and you can elaborate on it. So Paul is from Marathon Digital Holdings. As many of you know, that's the uh, largest, te most technically advanced, publicly traded Bitcoin miner and one of the most efficient uh, Marathon's mission is to enhance the Bitcoin network by sustainably increasing the amount of computational power, or hash rate as we call it, um, that helps make Bitcoin the world's most decentralized and secure monetary network. And then Paul specifically would love for you to go into your background, but I know you've had a pretty extensive history in roles at boutique asset management companies, uh, hedge funds, and you are now the CIO, Chief Investment Officer. Um, uh, or you have held chief investment officer positions at asset management firms over the past few decades. I worked at an asset management firm myself. It was not connected to a Bitcoin miner. So I would love to hear, you know, your take on how that makes things quite different for you. Um, but with, yeah, with that intro, I'll leave it there. Would love for you to just give some opening comments on whatever you'd like, and then we can get into some more specific questions. For sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with uh, with this panel. Uh, so just a little bit of my background. Uh, as you mentioned, um, I do come from the traditional finance world. Um, I started my career uh, uh, in foreign exchange um, at Merrill Lynch back um, a, a number of years ago. We'll leave it at that. And uh, then I transitioned into being a government bond trader. And it was a great way to, to start a career understanding sort of the yield curve from the shortest duration all the way out the curve and, and then all the related products that are priced off of that curve. So um, that, that sort of um, led me into the hedge fund world where um, I took that background and built uh, convertible bond arbitrage trading strategies uh, where we um, traded fixed income securities against the uh, underlying equities. And I've did that for a number of years and um, did some um, consulting for family offices and ran my own fund for a while. And then I got bit by the crypto bug in 2016. Uh, I went to a meeting uh, in San Francisco at the Silicon Valley Blockchain Society. It was about six people sitting around a table in, in a gentleman's house. Um, and that group has grown to be well over 2,000 people. So uh, I could see the momentum happening sort of in, in, a, in a very ground roots way. And um, got excited about about crypto. Um, launched a few businesses trying to do security token originations, um, and then launched a, a small hedge fund uh, before joining Marathon um, about seven months ago. So uh, my role here at Marathon is to uh, number one protect our most valuable asset, which is our Bitcoin that we have in custody. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, that risk is diversified am among counterparties. And then we want to try to look at strategies to either hedge the downside, enhance the upside, get some yield, um, and, um, and and try to optimize that uh, that asset. Excellent. 
Excellent. Uh, yeah, tons of different things we can uh, get into here, but I'll, I'll start with one question, which is um, about a month ago, uh, we discussed how Marathon was acquiring you know, multiple Bitcoin mining sites. Curious if there's any um, update on how that process is going. Yeah, so um, we recently uh, announced an acquisition of 390 megawatts um, of assets in Texas and in Nebraska. And um, it's it, we, we did this for, for three reasons, really. Um, it gave us a readily available pipeline of infrastructure. Um, it gave us a lot of expansion capacity and it reduced our, uh, our cost per coin of all of our existing operations. So now 45% of the company is owned and operated by ourselves, which gives us a lot of flexibility in underclocking and overclocking, curtailing when needed. Um, and more, more than anything else, one of the things that we're most excited about is that you know, we are really a technology company. We're not just a pure Bitcoin mining company. Um, we're involved in, in renewable energy projects, um, stabilizing energy grids. Um, we're involved in mitigating greenhouse gas emissions, recycling heat uh, for agribusinesses. Um, it's a very dynamic group of people, a very small group of people um, to, to, to manage a $5 billion market cap company. Uh, but that's sort of the, the way we wanted to grow was first and as an asset light business and then as um, sort of a more diversified, balanced business. Excellent. And I have kind of a general question. So you are head of um, asset management. Obviously, the two kind of and I'm a novice really when it comes to the, the intricacies of Bitcoin miners. But just as a general statement there's very different assets that you guys have. There's the asset Bitcoin that you hold, and then there's the assets that you hold on the mining side, whether it's the sites themselves or the infrastructure, the equipment, et cetera. Do you guys break that out into different teams and say, okay, you know, you guys are going to focus on what we should be doing with our Bitcoin, uh, hedging, selling, whatever. And then you guys focus on the more, you know, physical infrastructure asset side of things, or do you just have one team that kind of looks at everything more holistically? Uh, it's a great question. The way that we look at the business is with team owners. So with, with each initiative, we have somebody who's in charge top to bottom of that initiative. So for, for me, it's making sure that Bitcoin is safe. For someone else, it could be um, dealing with our, our energy grids. For someone else, it could be uh, a recycling heat project. So um, and then we come together and uh, there's a lot of trust in the room that the, the hard work and the details have been worked out before recommendations are brought to the broader uh, audience. And that's the way that we're managing the business uh, to be as much as efficient as we possibly can is by having experts in each business line. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a few more questions. If any other speakers want to ask something, please do not be shy. Um, first is more of a comment and a shout out. So there is a short film. It is on YouTube. It's called The Road to 23 Exahash. And it's, it's basically an inside story of how Marathon got started. I would highly recommend uh, people check that out. I think it just dropped um, a few weeks ago. So it's pretty new as well. Uh, so just a really concise way to get an inside look at how uh, Marathon came to be. So that, that's just a shout out. Um, Paul, if you want to make any comments about that, you, you certainly can. Yeah, it was that was an amazing journey. We have a very, very strong communications team. As you can imagine, in a business like this, uh, explaining what you're doing and why is is a very, very important part of of, of this business, even more so than than more traditional businesses. 
So we have a very robust team. Uh, they built, they, they basically made a movie. Uh, it was screened at a movie theater for the first time um, for the staff. Was very, very well received. Um, I would encourage anyone to take a look at it. And it's interesting to see, you know, as this industry has grown and developed, how our company has grown, developed, and changed. And uh, there's some amusing anecdotes in there, too. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good usage of time. I would highly recommend it. For sure. For sure. Excellent. So I think I do have to ask um, on the regulatory side of things, is there, this has kind of been making waves in the, the Bitcoin community. So there's been this, uh, these letters that have con- gone out from the EIA, which are, you know, quite frankly, demanding sensitive data regarding location, energy usage of Bitcoin miners and a pretty short window to respond. And I know this is a sensitive topic, so feel free to say, you know, whatever you can. Um, but just very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, this isn't really exactly my my expertise. Uh, we do have a gentleman in Washington that um, a- addresses these issues. Um, he is in- involved with with talks with the the legislative bodies uh, about this initiative. Uh, personally, I believe that uh, when when the broader um, audience hears how little energy is used and how efficiently it's used and how how well the the offtake of that energy is used, um, it'll be a positive for for Bitcoin. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, I think uh, you know we're we're well represented in in, in the space of regulatory uh, requirements. Um, so I'll just I'll just leave that um, there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So getting into two topics that have been, you know, huge stories for Bitcoin. Uh, one's been in the works for a while, the Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, Fred Thiel was on CNBC recently and he made a comment. He said the Bitcoin ETFs will bring about a flood of liquidity to the market. Just curious if you want to elaborate at all on how um, you guys see the Bitcoin ETFs kind of changing the landscape and does it affect what you guys are doing in terms of uh, your Bitcoin holdings or anything like that? Uh, it's it's not it's not affecting the way that we manage our Bitcoin holdings. But I, I mean, to, to say that the ETFs have been successful is the most is the biggest understatement I think I've ever heard in the financial markets. I mean, it's it's overwhelmingly positive for the markets. There's ten years of pent up demand for people to try to invest in Bitcoin that is now being satiated. So um, the, the, the amount of demand um, for Bitcoin as opposed to how much is being created each day is, is like 10 to 12 times. The, the demand side is what drives prices. It's not the supply side. And I know we're coming up to the halving and supply will be, will be reduced. Um, but, but holding out everything else constant, um, you know, the amount of, uh, of Bitcoin that's being held, I think it's ten to twelve thousand Bitcoin per day, and BlackRock themselves has over a hundred thousand Bitcoin in holdings, and this is less than a month. And um, it's becoming obvious that that owning some Bitcoin is a, a risk-reducing overall portfolio component that should be in anyone's portfolio. It's better than gold. It's more liquid. Uh, the return profile is better. And if you add it to a sixty forty diversified portfolio. Uh, it increases risk-adjusted returns over the past five years by 300 basis points, and that's enormous. Uh, when I when I was running my hedge fund, I would speak with pension funds, and they loved the idea of the non-correlated um, aspect of Bitcoin. They liked the idea of it as an inflation hedge, as a storage um, a storage of value. 
they were not comfortable with the what happens after the trade is made, settlement, clearing, custodian um, uh, availability. And that kept a lot of potential investors out of the space. And, and over the past two or three years, that's changed. We now have institutional custodians that are qualified and regulated. Um, the settlement and clearing occurs on same day, which is faster than T plus two in most financial markets. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think that the trend for mass adoption is is definitely in place and the tools have been created um, for, you know, everyone from pension funds to endowments, foundations to retail investors to have some Bitcoin as a risk diversifier in their portfolio. Right on. Yeah. So I want to, you mentioned the having, and I of course want to ask you about that. And there's so many different directions we can take that conversation. But before that, I think I want to ask you just out of curiosity, given your background, you know, you started up Merrill Lynch, you have this more traditional finance background. And I'm interested because I think it's interesting for anyone, but I'm even more personally interested because I spent 13 years at Goldman Sachs and my former colleagues really, you know, never really grasped the significance of Bitcoin. Maybe they got interested during these uh, bull cycles, you know, for a, for a, a second, they got interested in 2017, same thing with 2021, but they were much more in the uh, blockchain, not Bitcoin crowd. And even as this bull cycle is starting you know, I'm not really getting any text messages from them. I'm not getting, you know, they're not like, oh, hey, John, you know, I know you were into Bitcoin and we work for this Bitcoin company. So I think they're kind of slow to the uptake here. Um, that's a, as a general comment, you know, not not there, there's some people who break that rule, but that, I think it's true as a general comment. So I'm just curious what that experience has been like for you. Are you able to convert any of your former colleagues who are probably very, very successful in their own right? Or are they going to be the, the last ones to adopt? You know, that's a great question. And um, I, I speak to a lot of people that I've known over the years and uh, everyone's curious, but the incentives are not set up yet for people to take the risk in adding a lot of Bitcoin or, or Bitcoin um, related products into their portfolios, into their recommendations. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a lot easier to um, to create a levered loan portfolio and you know take out fifty basis points than it is to um, sell, com- communicate a, a Bitcoin ETF to a client, get them to buy it, and then earn whatever it is three basis points annually for uh, you know sales commissions. So the, the the incentives are just not there. Um, you know, whether it's a direct threat to traditional finance, I, I don't know if that's really the case. I think it's an it's an addition to the toolbox of traditional finance, um, and small allocations are what what I would recommend two to three percent, and then rebalance that as as things move higher. Uh, but like I said, until the incentives for Bitcoin adoption um, have flowed through the traditional finance market, um, there's really no reason for them to get too excited about it because it's a direct threat to their existing businesses. Right, right. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that gradual shift as entities like BlackRock, Fidelity, etc. now do have an incentive to market Bitcoin, to potentially put it in model portfolios. But 
it's certainly not like a you know floodgates wide open type thing because you've seen entities like Vanguard take the total opposite stance where they're just saying, hey, we're not even going to make this accessible to our clients. So I think it'll be a, a gradual process. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Great. So definitely want to get your thoughts on the having. So you can probably take this a lot of different directions. Um, you know, how, how do you see this playing out in terms of, I mean, when you guys try to model the having on your side, you know, what, what factors are you looking at? What, what, what kind of action do you see yourself taking after the having? Um, Mm -hmm. how do you think other miners end up performing? Do you think there is kind of a, a flushing out of the, the less efficient miners? Just really any thoughts on the having would be interesting. So, you know, the having is is what I call the worst kept secret in the Bitcoin industry. Like we, we all know it's coming. We, we've known it's coming forever. And um, there, there's no surprise here that uh, the, the block reward is going to be reduced and, you know, miners are going to get less in, in Bitcoin for producing each block. And, um, you know, uh, the, the sort of the variable is what happens with the fee side of uh, of each block. But what, what, what we, you know, we can't control the price of Bitcoin. But what we can control is to be the most efficient miner with the largest amount of capacity. And, and that's what we want to do. Plus, we want to have a, a high cash balance to be able to be opportunistic for um, consolidation in the space. And we want to make sure that you know the Bitcoin that we have is, is marketable if needed. I mean, we, we never want to sell Bitcoin. And we, we, we publicly announced that we sell a little bit each month for some energy costs. Uh, but... Um, you know, it is it is the asset that we want to to grow as much as we can, and if we're able to buy some cheap assets through the having, um, that's what we're poised to do. I think Tatum uh, visualized himself being in between two ASICs, and then a question immediately came to him. <laughs> Tatum, what's on your mind? Actually, I had to step away from the actual ASICs that we're running. Um, I, it's a long story, um, but. Uh, Paul, I had a quick question regarding the having. Um, how is a company like Marathon preparing for the having as far as um, assets uh, like ASIC miners and stuff? Because I know that we have new ones that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, S21s are starting to hit market. Um, and, you know, Watch Miners also coming out with more efficient models as well. And there's also, you know, crazier different like types of miners, hydrocooling, immersion, stuff like that. I don't know. If that's anything that y'all are delving into, but are y'all mm-hmm. allocating more into that pre-having or are y'all wanting to scoop up uh, some, trying to wait to see how having plays out to scoop up other ASICs or what, what's that look like as far as the hardware side? So um, fleet efficiency is, is sort of the most important thing that we can talk about uh, on, on this topic. And, you know, we're striving to be the best in the industry. Um, we need to be resilient because there's no way to know what the price of Bitcoin is going to be uh, after the halving. There's no way to know exactly what the um, the transaction fee uh, part of the block rewards are going to be. Um, so we, you know, we've done some things like we we've helped and funded Oridine, um, which is public knowledge to build sort of industrial design miners. Um, and you know, if we drive down, um, you know, if if we can increase capacity. So for example, if if I have a 20 megawatt. Um, and we're, we're producing at 21 joules per terahash, let's say, and we can drive that down to 15, we can increase the capacity by a third without, without using any more electricity. So we need to be in the bottom quartile cost-wise 
Um, and, um, you know, that's the way that we can kind of protect the business for the long term um, with the havings coming up. Personally, I've always been very worried that sort of this fee enhancement uh, piece of the block was never going to show up. <laughs> you know, it was like we're all counting on, well, what, what, what do you do when the last block is mined? Um, the, the, the last Bitcoin is mined. Um, oh, well, don't worry, the fees will be there. And uh, that's the kind of something I could never get my hands around. But we're starting to see that. Um, their ordinals are, are being attached to, to specific Satoshis and, um, and the fees that we are getting per block are significantly higher than we have ex been expecting and modeling. So, uh, you know, that's a positive, but again, it's going to be a very, very exciting, stressful time come April, mid April, um, to get through the having, but, uh, we think we're well positioned. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'll just say even if some Bitcoiners don't necessarily like ordinals, it's kind of given a good glimpse into the future of a higher fee environment. So uh, perhaps it's been valuable there. One other question I was curious to get your take on, Paul, is how are more – I asked you about you know former colleagues in the traditional finance side. Well, you guys are a publicly traded miner, of course. How have you found that? Uh, research analysts on the sell side, or if you guys are, you know, pitching, doing a roadshow to potential investors, how have you found that understanding your company, the industry, the business model, how do you feel like that has developed over time? And, you know, how much further does it have to go before you feel like the Wall Street sell side research crowd, you know, really has a good grasp on, on everything you guys are doing? That's a great question. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, education has been a, a large part of the growth of this industry and this company. Um, you know, we have an investor relations gentleman who has been an analyst himself. He's worked on Wall Street for 25 years and he speaks the language um, of, the, of the analysts who are looking at us. Uh, and, you know, the communications effort from our comms team has helped a lot, too. But um, as far as do they have their hands around the business? I think they do. Um, I think it's it's kind of difficult uh, just politically to be very excited about something that the CEO of your bank is not excited about. And I think that might be um, skewing some opinions uh, on Wall Street. But overall, it's it's an industry that cannot be ignored. And it's it's technical in nature. So it takes time to come up to speed. So I believe there's about seven or eight um, firms that have a dedicated analyst to the crypto mining space. Uh, and I expe expect that to grow as, you know, more and more um, um, news stories talk about, you know, the growth of Bitcoin and, and all of the different use cases. Yeah, I think that'll be a uh, positive self-reinforcing cycle there where more Bitcoin mining companies go public or just Bitcoin only companies in general. They get more coverage from the sell mm -hmm. side. They get more airtime on Bloomberg, CNBC, etc., uh, and then hopefully that will turn some of the bank CEOs to uh, <laughs> temper their more negative comments about Bitcoin <laughs> in general. And uh, hopefully that will make it a little easier for those research analysts to maybe, you know, be more publicly positive about the sector. But we shall see. Right. All right. Fantastic. Um, if anyone on the stage has a question, feel free to throw a hand up or come off mute. <laughs> That was everything I had. So, Paul, I will turn it to you. Is there anything you wanted to share 
with the audience? Any topics we did not discuss? Uh, uh, I don't think there's any topics that we didn't discuss. I mean, we could talk about you know the the the, um, the economic backdrop uh, that is driving. Uh, Bitcoin higher, sort of the global debt situation, um, monetary policy uh, at all the largest central banks. We could talk about, um, you know, how Bitcoin is making new highs against some currencies like the Japanese yen, which I don't think gets as, uh, enough uh, enough press. I mean, you know, the the, the yen yen selling is stressing uh, um, the entire relationship between Bitcoin and, and dollar yen. And Bank of Japan keeps easing. Uh, you know, we've got $300 trillion of global debt, which is like 350% of global GDP. You know, these types of, of, of macro um, um, tailwinds uh, are just, it's impossible to see current purchasing power to be sustained at these levels. So, I mean, we, we've, we've talked about ETFs, we've talked about, you know, mining in general, but overall, there's a, a significant global debt problem, interest interest payment problem that is uh, is going to push the only asset that I know of that is limited in size, uh, which is Bitcoin, significantly higher. And that's that's just a personal opinion. I mean, this isn't the position of Marathon, but um, I just thought I'd like to bring that up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the all-time high in Japanese yen terms because that, that is a news story that we had on our list. We didn't get to it today. I, I do think it is important to give that a little airtime because it's one thing for Bitcoiners to share a, a chart that shows, hey, Bitcoin is at an all-time high in ter- you know Turkish lira terms. But it's kind of easy for people to write that off and say, well, you know, Turkey has, you know, pretty rampant inflation and, you know, that's just one country, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe they do the same thing for Argentina. But then you make the same claim in Japanese yen terms, uh, you know, obviously a developed country with one of the, the largest uh, economies and currencies out there. And maybe that that lands a little bit better for people who... Because uh, it's easy to think superficially about it and just say Bitcoin was in the 60s in 2021 and, you know, it's taken so long to regain that high. Well, that's just in dollar terms. So, yeah, I'm glad, glad you brought that up. Um, hopefully that will kind of clue people in to the fact that this is an asset that it, it's not just about the U.S. dollar price. There, there are many other countries and economies out there where this becomes a meaningful asset when you can show that it's in at an all-time high in, in Japanese yen terms, for example. I agree with you, John. And, you know, there's there's over 180 currencies in the world. Um, I would argue that we probably don't need more than five. Uh, and when you start to see the, this kind of dramatic move by some of the larger ones, uh, it's just sort of the beginning um, as, as you're going to see sort of this um, – monetization of debt roll through global economies, the bigger ones, finally. I mean, and uh, there's only one place to hide from this, uh, from the currency devaluation, and that's Bitcoin. Maybe one other thing you just reminded me of, what would you say are some lessons learned from 2022, which was obviously a difficult time for miners, uh, you know, some survived and are, of course, thriving, but it was it was a difficult time and, and some did not survive and went through a bankruptcy process. W- what do you think were some of the critical lessons learned from that period? Uh, first one is don't let anyone rehypothecate your Bitcoin. 
<laughs> you know, control control your Bitcoin yourself. Um, uh, as far as the mining space goes, it's all about you know being efficient. It's all about the 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 most uh, uh, the most efficient machines, the lowest cost of energy, um, and you know that to me that that's really the lesson that that uh, that I've learned um, over the past five years is that there are a lot of things in this business that we can't control. We can't control the price of Bitcoin, but we can control how efficient we are, how quickly we can curtail, um, how efficiently we can, we can underclock and overclock. And, and that's really the value of a professional mining operation. Have your own pool like we do. Uh, this way we can you know, optimize the usage of our mining rigs. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been fantastic to have you on. Um, I'll get, we'll probably do another five minutes uh, with the crew here. Feel free to stay on if you want, Paul, but I know you're a busy guy. Feel free to hop as well. Uh, I'll just turn it to you for any closing comments if you'd like. I just want to say thank you for including me today. I, I love the conversation. I've listened to you guys in the past, and uh, please keep uh, spreading the word. Right back at you. It's great <laughs> to have you on and would love to have you on in the future. Thank you. All right, great. Um, like I said, we'll probably do you know a few more minutes, just maybe tie up some loose ends of, of things that we had not chatted about. Dom, I would love to hear you uh, elaborate on this tweet you sent out yesterday about uh, the Wisconsin <clears throat> public pension that you spoke to, and you guys went through an exercise with them where I believe you proposed a Bitcoin allocation last year. Um, and uh, it's looking like they should have taken your advice, but would love to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, you know, I'm not in the in the business of uh, financial predictions. You know, for our second run at the Nakamoto Gauntlet, you know, for those listening, this is based off of Hafa Zaguri's awesome Nakamoto portfolio tool that models the pension uh, portfolios. We try to get uh, board members on to just talk about Bitcoin and good or bad, right? Like, uh, like, like Paul mentioned, um, we love to hear too the hurdles uh, that that we don't realize uh, in the public that pension fund managers face as far as career risk, um, whatever policies they have as far as allocate allocating capital, um, you know, uh, strategies, etc. But our second episode. Uh, we had um, uh, board members from the Wisconsin Pension Fund. After we have them on the show, we excuse them, and then the board makes a hypothetical allocation. We landed on two percent, and that's up. Uh, that was when it was twenty-five k. So a small allocation, right, would have uh, yielded a hundred percent return. Obviously, you know it's not intended to be short traded, but that's a that's a healthy return and kind of. Uh, re-emphasizes this concept that a small conservative allocation can really buoy some of the turbulence that many pension funds are facing now. And so there's options on the table on how to navigate that turbulence. They obviously want to avoid selling assets at a loss at all costs. Uh, many are even borrowing money uh, so that they don't have to sell assets and then reinvesting and so investing with leverage. And um, I think this is a good place to start the conversation of, to at least consider Bitcoin. Um, and like, like our guest today, Paul, was saying, 
you know, we have to overcome a long time of negative coverage and, and this, this career risk perception of Bitcoin. But, um, the, the proof is in the pudding, even in the short term, right? Right on. Yeah. I guess one question I have is you, you had this interaction with them last year. Is that dialogue ongoing or, or was it kind of, you know, they don't, they don't really want to <laughs> hear about their missed opportunity? Well, it was, you know, it was with the board members who um, are also on the fire union. So I can have dialogue. And, and again, they ultimately, a lot of pension boards, the board members don't hold, um, they're separate from the uh, investment team decision makers, which again is kind of, um, you know, there's there's benefits to that. But then there's also issues where the stakeholders are not having a say in the direction of their fund and the participants the participants are ultimately the ones who lose out um, or part of the group that loses out when a fund doesn't perform. So there is dialogue. Of course, you know, I'm sending that, that tweet. Um, and uh, I know, I know one of the guys we had on uh, Malon is running for the, the, um, the union at the federal level. So he's pretty busy, but I'll make sure he gets a good reminder and we, we chat about it and have a good laugh. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thanks for, for bringing that up. Um, it, I, I mean, also just to, you know, give any pension plan, th- throw them a bone. It's very rare that it's someone's first time they hear about Bitcoin, a, you know, a friend, family member proposes to them that they should maybe think about making a small allocation to it. Most people hear that and they don't do anything the first time. Uh, some people, it takes them years until they actually do something. So I, I, I would say this is kind of normal. And then people need to readjust their mindset, readjust their models, readjust their preconceived notions, etc. So I, I think it's uh, all part of a longer process. Yeah, the, the, we had a decade of the media slamming every negative thing to ever happen to Bitcoin. And that's going to take, like we've said on the show, more than, than the, the you know, approval of the spot ETFs less than a month ago. To overcome that, it's going to take a lot of like discussions, a lot of options. Again, referring to what Paul was talking about, custodial, new custodial options, new formats, things that are custom tailored to pension funds. But there will be one, and we might be having a gauntlet show coming up soon with a potential guest that I just talked to the other day. Um, you know, there's going to be one that steps out and and uh, gets uh, involves Bitcoin in their fund for the long term. And, and the others will see the benefits that that may offer that fund as far as giving them flexibility to fulfill the ultimate goal of the pension fund, which is to provide the participants with a good retirement as agreed upon at the point of hire. Makes sense. Makes sense, man. Okay. Well, we are almost at 1130. So we've gone over the usual allotted time here, but I think it was well worth it. Um, if anyone else wants to share anything, feel free to uh, hop in here. Otherwise, we are going to call it a wrap. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks to all the speakers. Thanks again to Paul. Would love to have you on in the future. And uh, with that, I think we will wrap it. Um, quick shout out to at Swan on Twitter, the Swan handle. Check that out if you're not already following it. Dante Cook, head of Swan Business, has been putting out some fantastic 
daily recaps about ETF activity, major headlines in the Bitcoin space. Um, and Hurley on the Swan side has been helping produce that content. And I think it's been really well received. I'm just getting texts and emails from clients and friends just saying, hey, Dante's crushing it on these recap videos. So uh, just wanted to give that a shout out for anyone who's not aware. All right, cool. Thanks for joining on this Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, Sam should be hosting Swan Private Macro Friday, the usual thing. So uh, thanks again, everyone. Have a great Thursday and we'll see you tomorrow.